What's up, guys? We are still in the process of getting the studio put together, getting the background all changed up here in the office. But I appreciate you guys tuning in. If you're on YouTube, you can see the background. It's kind of plain. Um, if you listen to the audio podcast, thank you guys for tuning in. Make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you can. And follow us on Spotify if that's where you prefer to listen to your podcast. Uh, we just like to have any reviews that we can get to get us you know, out to more and more uh, people to hear this show. So listen, today we're diving into the skating world. we got a professional skateboarder joining the podcast. He's got an amazing story. I mean, we're talking about cultural transitions going from country to country, uh, what skating was like in a different country compared to the United States, the struggles, the ups and downs that he went through in his career, you know, what he learned during a prison sentence when he was there, you know, the different things he's learned, life lessons, uh, his favorite places to skate, the different things he's doing now to help other people who've struggled with similar things as him, his nutrition, the way he takes care of his body. We're dissecting it all. It doesn't matter if you're a skater, but if you are, you're really, really going to love this. But everybody can benefit from this episode, so don't miss it. This is the Game Time Guru. So, what time is it? Game Time Boost! This is the Game Time Guru podcast, where I interview sports figures from all over the world to help deliver a panoramic view on sports. So whether you're a former athlete, one of the crazies, or simply a casual sports fan, this is the perfect show for you as we peel back the curtains and learn from our guests every single week. I'm your host, Shane Larson, and I'm helping you see sports through a different lens. What's going on, everybody? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. My name is Shane Larson, host of the show. Thank you guys for tuning in for another one. I want to remind all y'all, if you guys are, are watching this on YouTube, I appreciate that. I understand we're in the course of like remodeling the back so I can get some stuff in the background. It's not so plain. We're redoing the office, uh, which is also my studio. That being said, YouTube is one of those platforms I'm trying to build out. As you guys know, we've hit 180 countries. All 50 states have listened to the show at some point over the last six years. We've grown this worldwide. However, my smallest platform that is completely dormant is YouTube. I only have 350 subscribers. I'd love to get that to 1,000 by the end of the year and continue to grow that because uh, it's important to have the content on various platforms. So that's where I'm asking all you guys that are listening right now, if you could do me a favor. One, leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. And two, if you haven't done so, hit that subscribe button on YouTube and help me build this platform up that I sat here for you know five years before I tried to actually build it out. And so now I'm asking for your guys' help. Appreciate you all. You know, as you guys heard in the introduction, this is a super um, unique interview for me. Uh, just being able to have someone in this profession, this uh, field of work, uh, based on my own background of just being in this this world, this culture for a, a portion of my youth. Um, and now I get to talk to a guy who I actually remembered the name before I even like came in contact with him for the show. I mean, that was like 20 years ago, it seems. Um, and I'm super, super excited to be bringing on Brandon Turner, professional skateboarder. Brandon, thanks for joining the show, man. Hey, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you. It's game time. Guru, yeah. <laughs> Let's get it. Let's get it, man. So, you know, uh, Brandon, I'm going to put in the description here of the podcast, this, this Forbes article that, that kind of talks about your story. Um, but I would love to hear it from your, your mouth, too. So that's why we're going to be doing this. You can read a lot of this. Go, you guys can go to the description of the podcast, kind of uh, check out his story on the Forbes side of things. But one of the things that stood out to me in that article was learning about how you became introduced to skateboarding. Um, and it was actually over in Japan, you know, coming from a military family. So can you maybe unbox that a little bit for us so that we can understand, you know, how you even became introduced to the world of skating um, at such a young age? Because to my understanding, it was at a very young age. 
Yes, it was at a super young age. I was uh, born in San Diego, and at the age of two, I got introduced to skateboarding through, uh, you know, a surfer who would skate by from school every day, uh, from high school when I was like two, and I would just hear these sounds and would do anything I could to get outside and see what that sound was. And then when I seen him go by, like I was intrigued. One day he put me on the front of the board and I was hooked. And uh, I moved to Japan when I was like six. And mind you, there was like no internet then. And I was going to a whole different world. And so getting immersed into the Japanese culture and going to school over there. And I didn't have my skateboard or anything and was playing sports and then it was it was interesting for me because I really got hooked into skateboarding by finding a skateboard actually stealing it off of somebody's front lawn you know but <laughs> that was because I didn't have a you know that I didn't have a board and I was young and it was just laying in front of a front lawn and I grabbed it and um, I met my, uh, my mentor in Japan, who's my brother now, uh, uh, by the name of Tom Noe Hongo. And he started, uh, teaching me Japanese and immersing me in the Japanese culture. At the same time, this, the skateboarding culture from a Japanese perspective. So I was able to learn not just skateboarding, picking it up and just, uh, it was it was unique for me because it was it was immersed in to the Japanese way, like with honor and respect and doing things like really, uh, you know, with uh, intention and and just respect and with uh, being being like present. And so it was like a, a real learning curve for me. And the skateboarding was one aspect, but learning the culture at the same time was, was, was the real, real key. And that's what like changed a lot for me. You know, what's interesting about that is I'm listening to it and, and we'll get into this more. It's just, it's, it's so interesting to hear the difference in cultures around any sport or anything in, in Japan compared to here. Um, I once had a, a young man who played basketball. He's from Japan, uh, but he's currently living in Idaho where I reside and he's playing high school basketball here. And we talked about that. I mean, he was a, a champion over there where he played. And then he, he came here for a more, you know, a, a bigger opportunity to play at the next level. And we talked about the difference in culture. And it's wild. Uh, the, the, the word respect that you just used is also a word that he used. And it's just a weird, it wasn't like, oh, they're more, but they, they were, they were respectful about the game. They were respectful about each other. They were respectful as a, as a culture. It just seemed a lot different. Um, talk to us when you like when did you come back to the united states wasn't it in your teens that you made the the transition back over here um and then like what was that transition like going from that culture that you had been submersed into learning the the skating way and then trying to transition over here and utilize that same thing well when i moved over there it was a culture shock anyways because i was in a foreign country i was super young i didn't know the difference between and i kept on saying china they kept saying japan <laughs> So once I learned Japanese and the culture and everything, like then I didn't want to, when it was time to come back here, I was 12, about to turn 13. And um, I did not, I didn't want to come back here because 
you know, we didn't have the internet and stuff. And so my parents used to get uh, VHS. We used to have family in the U.S. tape the news on VHS tapes and send it to us like every few weeks of the news so we could see what was going on over here. That's how my mom did it. And I would just see the news over here. And I was just like, you know, somebody gets killed there every 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 single day, you know, and there's a, the, the riots and the LA riots and all this stuff. I was just like, I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to go back there. That's, that's crazy. That's, that's a huge risk. Like it was scary, you know? So when I moved back to the U S it was a culture shock because everyone was like different. It was like, there's not, didn't really have that, that culture of respect and honor, especially as like a 12, you know, in, in middle school, like kids are, kids were, kids were mean, you know, it's like, you know, you don't really have that nowadays or nowadays, you know, I, I've been seeing some things that uh, bring, bring bullies back or whatever, but no, there was just like, you know, we, we, you know, getting fights and people, you know, steal stuff from you. Like I remember when I got my bike stolen, this was like a culture shock for me. I left my bike on the side of my house and it was gone. And I was so confused to try to remember I'm like, I'm, I misplaced my bike. Where did I put my bike? Like, and I was looking for my bike and I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around that it was stolen. I was like, I'm like, why would somebody, they, they borrowed it. I'm like, so what, when are they going to bring it back? And who was it? You know, I, I didn't, I didn't get that. So that was like a big, like shock and a trauma for me. Like, oh, wow, this is this is, this is how it is. I was just like, like I could, I couldn't understand how that happened. So that, mm-hmm. that's just an example of how different it is in, in Japan. You know, people would leave their keys in their car and, and doors open and you didn't have to worry about any of that. And you were safe. Yeah, man. I, as I'm sitting here thinking about it, I'm like, dang that even just the, the story of the bike, like that's, it's actually really sad if we think about it now like yeah we have to lock everything up you that you have to live in a world where you're scared about that stuff and then you're trying to process that in your own head of like wait did they did they take it for themselves they borrow that like what how did that work that that's crazy man you know as you, as a young teen i'm sure like there's a lot that you're trying to go through um in the forbes article it referenced something that i actually want to dissect with you as well brandon is you were a skater and as a young African-American male in the United States of America, there was this perception probably of like, or it seems that in the article it mentioned this of like you, people expected you to be like a football player or a, you know, mainstream sports guy. So how did you, you know, I guess deal with that. If there's other young men in the same situation that might be into skating or some non-traditional sports, so to speak, that have the stereotype that they should be doing this or should be doing that. I want to see if we can help them with any kind of advice that you have, because that might've been, that's additional pressures that the general public probably doesn't see or experience for that matter. Yeah. Well, nowadays it's way more accepted. There's a lot of, you know, ethnic skateboarders all around the world now. And it's, but me, when I was growing up, it was, it was, it was, there's only few. I think I was probably the only african-american skater in my school maybe there's one more but it was uh you know i would i would get you know from 
some family members and stuff like why you skate you know that's a you know you know that's you know that's for white people or something like that like that's that's how it was and people might not understand that now but um that's that's how it was it was just like you know why don't you play football why don't you play basketball like what you know what are you doing you know and even from like girls at you know when i even got into high school they were just kind of like like push me to the side or look at me weird and stuff until you know i started getting in magazines and stuff and then people started like kind of understanding and kind of showing me love and whatever which i thought it was weird but i was already over it by then because i i've had so much like disrespect and just was judged for doing something that everybody wasn't doing so it was a it, it was a challenge for for a while but we pushed through and that's what uh you know holding me into who i am today and you know influencing even nowadays that when even something uh isn't of the norm or whatever just to believe in yourself and stay true to yourself and and everything will work out and it doesn't matter what anybody thinks or anything as long as you're not harming or hurting anyone and you you believe in something and that you're passionate about to to just push through and believe in yourself i freaking love that man i think that's super cool when you were skating though here's the other thing you know Nowadays, we've got Instagram, YouTube, there's TikTok, there's all sorts of social media, there's there's access to the internet for everything as far as like how to learn how to play a sport. Here's some drills you do. When it came to skating, how did you learn how to skate? A simple ollie, for example, or a kickflip, like those simple tricks that you do as a skateboarder when you first get going. Um, how did you even learn to do that? Did you just, I guess, was there information? Were there mentors you had mentioned your mentor in, in Japan that kind of helped you out there too. Um, but I'm, I'm just curious, how did you continue to, to learn and practice new things with the, I guess, the lack of the information that was available at the time? Uh, progression, um, it was definitely... My there? Okay. There you are. There you uh, are. Yeah. With, pro with progression, there was definitely nothing online. I'm sorry, I keep getting calls. I I put I muted my calls, but whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, with progression, it was definitely nothing online. It was uh, friends and relationships and organically meeting people, you know, who were riding a skateboard, you know, when I was pushing through the streets, making new friends and skating with people who were better than me and learning from them and where they're putting their footing and kind of just that's that's how you learned we didn't have a bunch of skate parks or anything we had like just like regular parks and and it was just it was all through relationships and that's that's what the difference was within and you still people still have their their crews and relationships and and friendships uh you know all around but nowadays with the, with the internet and stuff it kind of makes i feel like it kind of makes people more kind of anti-social and just like all just on their phones and whatever and before back in the days uh you'd see a skater and be like oh hey you know like hey what hey, hey how you doing meet me here tomorrow you know we didn't even have a, a phone you know you had a like i had a pager and some people didn't even have a pager be like oh meet me here at this time tomorrow like and you had to like be be there you know what i mean and if you weren't there, then you were like left. And then, 
you would have to go off and try to find where your friends were. So it was just like, it was a, it was definitely, um, it was different than nowadays. You just have like maps or whatever you can get kind of wherever, but it was more of a, of an adventure back then. And it's like when I travel overseas sometimes and my phone's not working or something or no Wi-Fi, and I have to find out and navigate to where I'm going. It gives me that feeling that, that I had back in the day of not, you know, most people wouldn't know what to do without their phone nowadays, you know? So like that is actually like empowering to actually have to use your brain and navigate and remember, uh, things you've seen and, uh, in directions and, and kind of being yourself. So, um, yeah, it was, it was amazing. Like, that's how I learned though. Basically it wasn't just about learning about the skateboarding. It was everything integrated with the skateboarding, how to navigate to, to meet up with people, to make new friends and all that without, you know, a phone. That is so crazy to me. And the word you used was pager. <laughs> a pager. I want those people who are listening, especially the young athletes that I coach or even the parents, mm-hmm. remind remind them to listen to this. If you're a parent, you have your kid hasn't listened to this, come back and listen to what Brandon just said. A pager. Then go Google it. Yeah, yeah. pagers were a thing. I, I think some people just don't realize what that was, but definitely it's, pagers were, were a thing. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy that some you know people kids don't know what a pager is. It's it's insane to me. But you used to have to call a number and page it, leave your number, and then you had a device that vibrates, you see the number, and then you'd have to go to a phone and call it, and hopefully they were still out that phone by the time you got to a phone to talk to your friend, you know? (laughs) Talk about very inefficient ways. It's like a text message slash phone call slash everything to try to like, and then you had to go to a, you had to have access to a phone. This is before cell phones were a thing. So it was a yeah, text you're... message for a phone number and then you had to <laughs> find a phone. So <laughs> I, it's so awesome though to see how things have evolved. You know, as you're talking about all that though, it it's cool to see, you know, you were able to adapt. Um, I think that's such a benefit. And and one of the things you mentioned was like, you used your brain and I don't like, I don't mean that disrespectfully to, towards other people, but I've said it a lot myself. Like, you had to actually use your brain. I think a lot of the times nowadays, kids don't know how to be social. They're very antisocial because like you said, there's devices in front of their face from the time they're three years old. And uh, they just get comfortable talking behind a device instead of having to actually communicate with one another. So you had this opportunity to build a community and continue to grow. You know, Brandon, I want to know though, like you mentioned, there weren't many skate parks and whatnot. But at what point did you realize like, hey, skating can actually get me either paid or I can get into a mag. There's things that I can do like, at what point did that turn for you? What age were you when you realized like, hey, I can do this professionally and, and probably make a living if I can get connected with the right types of people. Um, I just want to kind of know that because there's a lot of people who will say that be like, well, skating's cool and all, but there's no way you can make a living out of it or there's nothing that you can do to actually make money. So what's the point of putting your body in harm's way? So I want you to explain that, like dissect that when that, that actually happened for you. Well, I've always skated for the love of skating and just because I loved what I, you know, I loved the culture and what I did, but it was uh, my goal when I left from Japan was to be, I realized I was progressing fast and I'm like, hey, when I get to the States, I, I will be a professional skateboarder. Like that was my, that was my goal and it happened. But more importantly, it wasn't 
just about that. It's it's the freedom. It's not about okay making a living doing it because, to be honest, a lot of a lot of famous musicians, you know, done music and worked a job before, um, you know, before they are ever making money doing a musician. It's just I believe you have to make a living, and I believe that you should have a passion because it's important. And if it works out that you're so so good at your passion that you can make money from it that then that's a plus but i think where some people get get um into this place with with their passion when they just folk i mean just focusing on one thing is great and putting your all into it is is good but you kind of got to diversify because you have to make a living and i think what when you say for skateboarding for instance you put all your time and work and just into skateboarding and you have nothing else going on and it doesn't work out, then you develop a resentment to your passion. So then you lose that because it never worked out. And that can just be, you know, some mental trauma to yourself that you created without setting yourself up right and you had expectations because you just have to stay true to your path and whatever works out is all for a reason, you know? It's not if you're wasn't if you were good enough or you didn't do this right or wrong, it's just, it's like everybody has their own story and journey and you got to really just pay attention to where life is like pointing you and not resist. I love that. Absolutely love that. Um, when I was younger and I was, you know, skating, um, inline skater, as we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that was tough for us, was understanding how to even like, how do you even get into a magazine, so to speak, or get onto a skate video that they used to have and all these things. There was like Thrasher was a magazine and there's a lot of different, I mean, there was videos and, and, and the thing was, is like everybody had their specialty. So this is what I wanted to ask. Like for me, I was always good at hitting handrails. I, I was brave enough to hit handrails, but I wasn't the most athletic guy. I'm six foot two. And back then I was kind of like, I was the basketball player that skated. So I'd wear basketball shorts while I was skating. So I always got made fun of at the skate park, but yeah. I would hit, I'd hit all the handrails. Me but too. I wasn't gonna... too. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. So I was about to ask, like, so what was your specialty, so to speak? There's, there's street skaters, there's vert skaters, there's all sorts of different specialties. But I wanted to kind of ask you, like, where did you specialize as you were making your climb uh, up into the professional ranks? It was uh, street skateboarding and uh, going big, jumping down stuff. And that's kind of like what I was known for. And um, yeah, I would I would wear basketball shorts because, like I told you, I played sports. And in like the first videos I came out with, I have you know I have tricks in basketball shorts, and I didn't care about what everyone. No one really even said anything to me about that because that was just part of you know who I was. So it's uh yeah, it was it was you know it's interesting. But I know I know what you mean about that. Like everyone has their specialty. But I want to say one thing. Like everyone in sports or anything always thinks about how good they are. And I, I just want to state that nothing, nothing in this world is about what you know. It's about who you know and the attitude you bring with it. Because I've known plenty of people who are the best, but they would have a shitty attitude or not have the right connections and they don't make it because of that. So it's all about connection and it's not what you know. It's about who you know. and your ability to make relationships. And I'm sure you know that. And that's in sports or anything. And it's being at the right place at the right right time. So 
I would try to encourage people to connect more in an organic way and just talk to people. Ooh, that is huge. That's going to be a snippet for social media. I promise you that. That was huge, Brandon. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have a question. So as you as you were, um, you know, moving forward and, and continuing on skating and you're improving and whatnot, where did you travel? Like, did you get to go travel to some locations? I mean, you mentioned there weren't a ton of skate parks, but you were skating around. Did you start going around the United States, start traveling the world? Like, talk to us about that as things started to progress for you. Well, things happened really fast for me because I was super determined and I had the right relationships, the right connections right away when I moved back from Japan with my boy, uh, Peter Smolik, Ken Russell, who was, you know, uh, the biggest, one of the biggest pro skateboarders, you know, in the world. And when I got back from Japan, I was skating with uh, Peter Smolik, who was an up and coming arguably one of the best skaters in the world and still to this day and ken russell is already established i met ken russell uh went to a spot with him and kind of showcased what i could do and it it was off and running from then and we started traveling the united states right away within like a year i got put on a new starting company shorty skateboards which was the biggest company for years and one of the one of the best companies ever in, in skateboarding. And yeah, I traveled everywhere, all around the world. Went back to Japan every year, you know, stayed, stayed, stayed connected with my family and my mentor in Japan because I got unofficially adopted with, uh, you know, my Japanese family. And then, and just tra- over in Europe and just at everywhere. I was always, I was always on a plane, always on the road everywhere, like, being immersed in different cultures and meeting new friends and different people. So it was, uh, it was amazing. You know, it's been amazing and I'm still doing that this to this day and blessed to be doing so. So awesome, man. Um, what was your favorite place to visit? Like what was your favorite, where is your favorite place you have ever skated at and why? Um, I mean, I love Japan, so I would have to put that first. But skating-wise, like definitely Barcelona, Spain is amazing. And in the UK, just because of just the, the structures and how older it is compared to America and the buildings and the culture and the the people being about the people. And it's just, you know, I would have to say that definitely Barcelona. So dope. So shout out to my boy, AJ from EBC. He's actually, he's one of my best friends. Currently he's from Idaho or he lives in Idaho where I do, but he's currently in Europe right now for three months, just traveling with his family enjoying his time there. And he was talking about literally just yesterday. Um, I was chatting with him about Barcelona, Spain. He was talking about how he just yeah. loves it there from the people and everything. He just, the structures, the architecture, everything's great. So when you said that that's from a skating perspective, but also like, you know, I got to shout out AJ cause it reminded me of him. That's so cool, man. You know, the other the other part of this, Brandon, is I just want to talk about, you know, the culture within skating. Um, obviously, people are listening to this, and if they don't know your story yet, it sounds like, oh, man, like he came over to the United States after living in Japan, had a great time in Japan, comes over to the United States. You know, he went through some adversity, got, you know, went up the ranks. He's traveled. Everything's, you know, dandy. But there yeah. were some difficulties that you struggle with in the meantime, right? So that's where I kind of want to show people that yes, Brandon is extremely successful. I would, I would, I would call that a very successful career that is continuing on, as you said, still to this day. However, you have faced adversity and you have overcome some 
uh, very hard struggles. So that's kind of the tough part of the discussion that I want to unpack a little bit. So people see that there are struggles that happen in, in between. And, you know, there were things to do with uh, uh, substance abuse and so forth. So do you mind talking about that a little bit and talking to us about, you know, being immersed in that culture of skating, the people you were around? And yes, you like them as friends and such, but like what the other pressures and other struggles that came from that were? Yeah, definitely a struggle is real. You know, obviously, like I said, um, everybody has a story and it deserves to be told. And that's why I opened up Westside Recovery and it's a substance abuse um, facility here in San Diego, rehab, if, if you would say. But removing the stigma of, you know, getting help is a weakness and and that rehab is jail. So I wanted to bring my perspective into this starting a program that was cool but getting to that and how it came to that is you know everybody has a story and it deserves to be told and i did have struggles i had trauma as a kid and family issues and i had a good outlet which was skateboarding and that's why i had no fear because i wasn't i wasn't i've i had so much pain and struggles when i was little i change that energy into skateboarding so it progressed fast and everything but i didn't realize that then so i had this amazing outlet by the time i got to where i wanted to get being a professional and everything and i got into drinking and partying and traveling the world and i'm in europe you know europe at 18 there's no drinking age and i'm partying with uh my you know my friends and, and through through high school and not thinking anything of it and it's i started getting in trouble you know started getting DUIs and started, you know, just, just having run-ins with the law, you know, at 18, you know, got my first DUI and, you know, got another one and then not thinking anything of it, just thinking it was circumstantial, but, uh, uh, you know, got into, you know, experimenting with drugs and sold drugs a little bit. And, um, eventually long story short, these things building up ended up later on going to prison and then, I'm just sitting there thinking like, how did I get here? Like all these, all this, I have all these things going for me and everything's great. And how did I get here? And, you know, got done with that and and eventually ended up getting, getting some help and seeing what was going on with me and realized that I had some, the reason why I was using like, you know, drinking so much and trying to get out of my own, own head by whatever just smoking a bunch of weed and drinking is like because i didn't know how to deal with life on life's terms and i had some underlying issues i never addressed from when i was younger so i had to have somebody help me and had so to have somebody help me and take me through this process of being able to learn how to take my own inventory how to go through my my old traumas and address that and you know put it down on paper and you know basically the 12 steps of you know aa you know and it's uh it was it was really eye opening to realize that i thought i was just you know having fun and doing this because you know my friends did or whatever but really i was just self medicating and had so many stigmas towards getting help or mental health. Oh, I don't have a problem and getting help is weakness and stuff. So it was, it was definitely a deep hole to climb out of. And 
it was it was I didn't even realize I was there. It just happened over time, and 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 it helped. It ha- happened in pieces through events, and and it was just really crazy. And so I wanted to open up a facility to where I can help people that kind of ha- had the same mindset a uh, mindset as I had, you know, ambitious and a go-getter and everything, super talented, of course, for everybody. But I I really was hard-headed in the sense that I didn't think I needed help from anybody. I thought I was doing everything myself and it was just circumstantial. If I would have done this different or this different or this, if this didn't happen, if my mom didn't do this, this wouldn't happen. But the th- thing of it is, is it's, it's me, you know? And I had to address those issues and I didn't have the tools to address them i was just doing it by self-medicating smoking a bunch of weed or 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 whatever i really couldn't be with myself from within so i want you know i wanted to help do my part in sharing my story and to help change the world and the stigma that uh getting help is weakness because i'm going to tell you something no matter what you do in this world whether it's sports have a business or have a job or anything, everybody needs help, no matter what. And it's not about if you have a problem or not. I mean, we all have problems and life's hard. And that's why I say connection is so important because usually when you're going through a problem, you think you're the only one going through it. And, oh, nobody's going through what, what I'm going through. And that's just not the truth. And you you won't realize that until you like reach out and see that there's more similarities and differences. It's easy to see the differences between me and you are people, but when you start to look at the similarities, then you have some clarity. That's so powerful, man. I'm, I'm like listening to the story. I'm trying to unpack it in my own mind of like trying to put myself in your position. You know, would you say Brandon, like in your story, if you like look at it so far in life that the, the, the prison sentence, like going to prison, did do you feel like that actually like was the turning point for you of like, okay, it's time to change my life around? Uh, because there's a lot of people I've known that have, have, you know, gone to prison for one reason or the other. Some of them feel like it's helped them because they had the right mindset to change when they got out. And some of them feel like it actually made it worse. But do you feel like that was like the, like, okay, I've got to make some changes or this isn't the right path I got to be going down? Well, yeah, the idea was definitely planted that I need to make some changes. And I knew I never wanted to go there again because it was horrible, but you got to realize it's a system. And if you're whatever system you're in, like it's a powerful one. And if you don't have the tools or use the resources to see what is going on and not, and not integrate that into yourself or blame or, or think it's something other than yourself, then, you can have a problem because you see some people who go to go to jail or go to prison and then they're just in and out and in and out because it's uh it's usually because there's an underlying mental health problem and they keep reverting back to drugs or whatever and not realizing that their self you know the system doesn't recognize that they're self-medicating but they just haven't got the the right help or ha- have had the right resources or guidance to get up out of that so it's really tricky and I could see that too I could see it I'm like oh I could see how this could be like a cycle because then you start getting resentful to yourself I can't believe this happened to me and this so 
and then all the other stuff. And then it's just me, me, I, I, oh, this person did this to me and I. I just want to tell everyone when you're thinking about I or me a lot, you're living in the ego. And you got you to gotta get out of yourself and reach out and talk to somebody else. Yo, I love this, man. So many golden nuggets here. So dope. So, Brandon, was there ever a point, maybe this was the point in your life that you said, okay, well, my, my maybe my skateboarding career is over. Like, was that, was that ever a thought that processed through your head when you were going through your struggles there? Oh, never, never. I was, uh, my, my mind was strong in that sense. I'm just like, I need to stay healthy, keep my mind right. I'm going to use this time as school. I'm going to study, read books and get, you know, up on my game with <clears throat> some of the other things I don't know. I'm like, I have this time. I'm going to use it as like I'm in college. So I kind of just studied and just got got immersed into just learning. So by the time I was out of there, I was like, okay, I was like on a different level from when I went in. So I chose to take something out of it instead of it taking something from me. Ooh, I love that. That right there, again, I, I think that's so inspiring. I mean, I've never had to experience that, but I like to hear it from the people. Like I can feel it when you're sharing that, like just the idea of being there and making the best, if you can call it that, out of the situation. Um, awesome, man. You know, as we as we get towards the end of the interview, I want to kind of, I do this, this segment called the Game Time Grind. I'll just do a couple rapid fire questions your way um, based on some of the things that, you know, I was researching and I just kind of want to let the <laughs> listeners know more about your skateboarding career. So one, Tony Hawk's pro skater video game, big popular video game growing up. I mean, there was one, two, three, four. I mean, there was a million different games. And I, and I mean, every one of us played it, whether we were skaters or not, like everybody wanted to play Tony Hawk's pro skater. Uh, yeah. Which one was your favorite game and, uh, and why? It was number two. And it was just because it was, it was, uh, an upgrade from number one, but it was right when you're start starting to be able to do like the long grinds and tricks and whatever. And it wasn't too technical, but it was right there in the middle between being basic and the learning curve and just too technical. And it was just kind of like st still kind of generic. So, <laughs> dude, I totally get it. Though. When you're saying that, I'm like, yeah, I totally understand that. Man, I love the long grinds though and the bonuses you get for it and everything. Like, oh, so sick. Who was your favorite skater to play with on the video game? Uh, I played with my boy Chad Muska, you know. That that's who put me on. That's who I was on shorties with. So when he got up on that game, we're super excited for him and I felt a part of it. And I think I'm people tell me I was a special character at some point, but I don't I don't know, you know. I don't I don't I don't know. So but yeah, Chad Muska. Let's go. Shout out, Chad. Let's go. Um, from a shoe perspective, skate shoes are all over the place. There's, you know, DCs. There's tons of different shoes. Right? Like, you know, basketball shoes are the same way. We got Jordans. We got everything. What was your favorite shoe? And I know I already kind of know this answer, but I want to know what was your favorite shoe and why? You know the answer. Well, I'm, I'm going to just have to say. Maybe I don't. <laughs> you know, from. Uh, that's, that's a hard one. From. These Jason Lee Airwalks were my favorite growing up, you know? And then uh, I'm going to have to say my shoe, the Brandon Turner that I had for Osiris, you know, because it was my shoe. I put, you know, a lot of thought and hard work into the design, and that's what it was. And, of course, my boy uh, Peter Smolik's shoe um, from, from Osiris as well. It was, it was uh, 
groundbreaking, changing, like amazing shoe that hasn't been done. It was, he had the pant that went with it. It was called the sag no drag. And he had the Velcro on the back of the shoe. So your pants wouldn't drag. Like it was just, it was just, uh, it was just next level. That's so wild. So to piggyback off of that, from a business perspective, a lot of fans kind of want to know, like, how how do these guys get paid? Is it sponsorship somewhere? You got magazines, you have, you know, videos you're in getting, you're doing big tricks on certain things, um, shoe deals and whatnot. Uh, you don't have to give specifics. Obviously, that's your own business. But is there, uh, are there deals for shoe deals? Like when, it, like a basketball player gets a kickback for their shoe deal. No, absolutely. So you got salaries from all your companies. You got royalties from all your companies from signature items. You have incentives from um, like uh, magazines and clothing or or all that. And then you have, uh, you know, your royalties. Freaking awesome, dude. Yeah. Um, as you've gotten, you know, older and you're continuing into the sport, um, your body has stayed intact. You know, uh, I'm sure you've gone through injuries as a lot of skateboarders have the, the ankles, legs, back, whatever. There's probably a ton of injuries as you continue to like try new things, but absolutely. You, you have taken care of your body. I know Pilates is a huge uh, part of that, but can you explain to the listeners how you continue to execute and, and compete at a high level as you continue to get older and older? Um, I had a, make some changes, you know, um, just with what you put in your body, with what you eat, you know, alkalining your body. And, um, you know, I'm vegan now and I'm just going to say like, I, Hey, I love, loved meat and all that, but for integrity purposes and just with my studies and what I've, you know, re, you know, all the research I've done and information out there, I've decided to go vegan and I'm just, that's totally changed my energy, my body, and just made me on a next level performance-wise. And then um, obviously stretching, working out, you know, Pilates is just next level. And st speaking of stigmas, when Pilates was first brought to my attention, I was just like, oh, get out of here. Like this, this is for, you know, this is for women or whatever, you know, and not to even be like that, but that's just what I thought, you yeah, know, for real? because that's what I've seen, but it is next level. And, um, yeah, just being into making sure you eat right, sleep well, make sure to stretch and really in, invest in yourself. So awesome, man. See, this is, it, it applies to skating the way it applies to any sport. Like you've got to take care of your body. I think that's so dope. And everyone's got to get rid of those like stigmas, yoga, Pilates, those things, those there's a big reason you're starting to see more and more like high level athletes doing those things. So just take note of that. If you guys are listening to this podcast, take note, that's like, take note. There's, there's a re you want to model after the people who've been successful. Brandon is successful. You might want to, might want to take note of that. Just two questions left for you, Brandon. Right. Um, one of which is your switch hard flip 2020, I believe is when it happened. Um, huge trick. Talk to us about that trick when, I mean, you landed it. And the, 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 the biggest piece of this story for me, I would encourage people to go check the YouTube. There's tons of clips about this over and over and over, but it's that you did it at an age. I think you're late thirties, 39, 40, almost when you yeah. hit it. Mm -hmm. um, and people are gonna be like, Oh, 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 okay. Cause that's a big piece of this story. So I just want to hear it from your side, like how long it took you to land that trick and why it was such an important feat. Well, is 
it's like one of the biggest like monuments in skateboarding and there's only been you know a handful of tricks that's been down done down this obstacle and it's like the most known uh street spot in skateboarding so since i was 18 i've been wanting to do this trick and for 20 years nobody has done it still and people like i remember were like kind of doubting me like oh you know hey you know we know you could have done it you know what i mean and just kind of like didn't know if i could do it and then i went and did it and people were just like so blown away because i want to tell everyone too everyone thinks that everyone has like an age timeline and especially with basketball or football like they wear down your soul but your body so much that you are just like you're done by that you know age of 30 or your prime or whatever but i'm going to tell you right now like my prime when i was 18 i'm better than i was then at 41 so and that's because of everything i've imp implemented into my life like meditation you know yoga pilates eating different and everything so my me doing that was kind of to prove a point that like you can do anything that you put your mind to and don't everything starts in your mind with the idea everything in this world started with an idea with hey how could we do this it's not if i can it's like how could i do this and if you can put your mind to it you can really do anything and I've showed that because people were just like blown away and thought it was impossible at my age. But it's if you really put the work in and make changes and don't listen to things that other people say or anybody, you can really do anything at any age because you are the master of your desires. So freaking cool, man. So awesome. I'm going to put the link here, as you guys can see, uh, of the, one of the YouTube videos to show uh, Brandon, Brandon's trick that he's talking about here, the switch hard flip. It's just, it's pretty dope. Um, and now you. that you have the context of what you just said behind it, makes it a little bit more special. Mm -hmm. um, last question for you. What's the biggest life lesson that you have taken away from, from skating thus far? Biggest life lesson I've taken from skating. Skating is like life. Um, some people are scared of life and some people are scared of skating because they're scared to fall or fail. But skating is one of the best lessons in life because it's not if you're going to fall, it's when you're going to fall. And it's not about actually falling. It's what you learn when you pick yourself back up. And as long as you pick yourself back up, you will progress in life or in skating. Absolutely love it, man. Thank you for that. And, you know, I, I just want to say thanks, Brandon, for joining me, taking the time out of your schedule to, to talk on the podcast, share your story. I just want to let everybody know like where they can, if they want to take advantage of your, your, your resources that you have at your, uh, at your clinic, how can they do that? If I have listeners that are in Southern California, for example, that can, that are nearby, is, is there a website we can go to or any social media phone number, anything like that? Yes, absolutely. My social media is uh, B Turner, B T U R N E R underscore. And my company is Westside Recovery. It's uh, Westside Recovery SD, like San Diego.com. And 
we have uh, amazing programs, skateboarding program, yoga, Pilates, surfing, uh, art program, music program, and just a real diverse way to recovery and helping you get back to your true self. So I appreciate you for having me and everybody who's listening. And I hope everybody who's able to take something from this on the Game Time Google Podcast. Chop. <laughs> Let's get it. I appreciate you, Brandon. For all those listening, check the description. We'll have the website there that Brandon just mentioned. Take advantage of his resources that he's got there for you. And as always, we'll be coming to you guys next week with another interview. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars, and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.